psychotherapist, non-therapist, and everyone in between. My name is Ian Hammonds, and I am currently lathered in essential oils and chock full of adrenaline. And this is Therapy on Tap. I'm here having a drink with fellow Austin, Texas therapists, Patrick Harris and Hayden Lindsay. And this is the most authentic way we know how to talk about therapy in a relaxed, non-judgmental environment. Today, we are going to be talking about coping with the current climate. I actually came up with this topic because I asked a bunch of non-therapists if y'all were going to be subscribing to a podcast with three drunk therapists talking about something, what would y'all want to hear? And People said a myriad of things, but the one that kind of stuck out the most to me was kind of coping with the current climate. So we are in a pandemic. We are um, <laughs> basically dealing with a lot of existential anxiety. And before we dive into all of that, before we dive into all the good, juicy things about coping with current climate and mental health, let's do a quick check-in for everyone. First of all, I don't consider myself a drunk therapist. I consider myself a enthusiastic therapist that just happens to be drunk. So, <laughs> Well. Don't tell me what to do, mom. Sorry not to, <laughs> Sorry about not being PC over here, jeez. But Aiden, right. how are you doing? I, I'm not I'm not drunk, but I am double fisting. Um I, I I always ask what are we what are we drinking today? I'm uh I'm working on a lovely Irish coffee, the drink of my people. Uh that 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 Patrick provided uh, with some uh, Jameson Black Barrel and uh, was that Bailey's apple apple pie. pie. It was a know. weird amazing. combo, but it, it's amazing. <laughs> it's working. Um, and then the in the other fist is a Shiner Vice in Easy, and I I, I picked this one at the at the convenience store because. Uh, it, it is unfiltered, and uh, if you haven't, <laughs> so are we? If you haven't uh, uh, gotten your swag yet, uh, our our tagline is "Mental Health Unfiltered." So, so since we're talking about existentialism, which one would you consider to be the animus, and which one is the animus drink? <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to catch me up on. Re- remind me of my. Anima is. This is definitely a yin and yang situation for sure. <laughs> like you got the nice and easy, vice and easy, and then the like black lager. I mean, or black. Uh, or, help me out here. Yeah, you were Jameson actually, Black you were, Barrel you, Barrel. You <laughs> made me this drink as well. I actually watched you make it, and I thought you were making it for yourself, but <laughs> nope. <laughs> You brought it to me, and I was like, "Okay, this is really strong." But I was a little heavy-handed, wasn't I? You you can be heavy-handed with me all day long, Hayden. It's totally okay. Um, (laughs) But uh, check in, little handsy. Yes, emotionally, how's everybody? Oh yes, Uh, everybody. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, Y'all didn't tell me what you're what you're drinking, but um, I I had a uh, I I think a a pretty intense week uh, clinically, which of course reverberates into my you know my 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 personal world, and so um, I I just went to see my own therapist today and kind of process some of that. And uh, yes, we see therapists too, and uh, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Uh, It might be a, a a product of the the. The therapy or the uh, Irish coffee, but um, 
overall doing pretty well. But yes, there is a lot of intensity in the world and in our little community here. Uh, still kind of swimming in some grief and loss uh, in in the world around me. And um, uh, yeah, so just just trying to process all that. And it's but, it's but like, overall good. It's exactly a week before Christmas too. It Didn't is. Didn't even realize that. I mean, as we're recording this, it's a week before Christmas. Um, Patrick, what are you drinking, and where are you at emotionally? I think it's funny that Ian redirected the drinking conversation because he has three drinks in front of him. <laughs> one is a heavy poured Irish coffee. The other one is a Bang energy drink. Don't be trying to tell my business. And then the other one looks like a bottle of water, but is in fact a uh, tequila. Whatever, it's water, <laughs> it y'all. But 16 ounces of tequila. <laughs> I have a holiday uh, gathering this evening, so I have to maintain my wit. So I'm just kind of nursing a gin and tonic right now. Um, Ooh. But I'm doing okay. I didn't have an intense week client-wise. In fact, I had three like solid fucking appointments where my clients were just knocking it out of the park. There was one where like uh, one of my teens is just like crushing it that I even just like felt compelled to email parent afterward and be like, have you talked to so-and-so like they mm-hmm. are just kicking ass and taking names. Like this is amazing. So that totally made my day. Cause I was dragging ass that day. I was very tired and just approaching burnout. I do feel overwhelmed because I'm being inundated with calls for counseling. Like historically, this is like the slump this of is the, the year. Dead, Absolutely. Dead yeah. part of the year. This is where you amazing. Uh, cross your fingers and try to pay your bills. But, uh, it's, good and bad i guess that there's just so many people seeking out therapy right now like it shows that there's a need which is kind of sad but i mean it's nice business wise but yeah it's a lot and most of the ones that are calling me are saying i've called like three or four therapists and no one's called me back or returned my calls and that's super surprising too that's Mm -hmm. just bad business and also not super trauma-informed but um but i've been feeling overwhelmed from that like my heart goes out to everybody that needs therapy right now that doesn't have access to it and hope that they can find resources because they're definitely out there. You just really have to search sometimes. I think last this time last year in December, before pre-COVID, ironically, um, I had 12, 12 cancellations, I think, in one week. Damn. One week. On 12 cancellations. Cancellation. <laughs> uh, how many gifts are actually bought in that song? <laughs> I know the answer. It, 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 Oh, uh, the when you it's add like them all, you, the, you a, do like that's a fractal or one, not a fractal. One uh, plus two plus one plus two plus three. That's a thing in math, which I don't remember <laughs> that, because I, I became either. a therapist. And, right, we don't. You don't need that much math. Well, how much was bought? It kind of feels like that guy just went and kind of puttered around his farm a little bit and maybe grab grab some hens and, and <laughs> other livestock, and then uh, some it sounds like he rings. kidnapped a a band of drummers. I think we're getting off topic here, but, but, but alternatively, if that wasn't based on a true story, like what was going through the author or the, the writer of that song's mind where it's like, all right, all right. So it's Christmas time, right? All right. Let's, let's 24 days, 25 days. No, no, no. 12, 12. It's good in half. Okay. So on the first day, I don't know, fucking bird or something. All right. On the second day, <laughs> birds. Uh, I feel like he was, they were Bitches like, love birds. They were just right. <laughs> They were just writing the song in a park, and they were just surrounded by fucking birds. Just like birds, birds. Okay, oh, they, uh, they kind of sizer cosed the, the <laughs> song together. What else are they like? Rings? Yeah, five of those. Uh. <laughs> that, that, that that won't send a 
She's been on me to get married, but uh, I'll send this confusing message with five golden rings for each <laughs> finger. <laughs> each time that you fucking ask me. <laughs> um, uh, Ian, how are you doing? I, I always, I feel like I've taken on this role as like the the emotional caretaker of our of our host uh, because you're you're so good at, at inquiring into our inner worlds, and and I want you to feel uh, val- valued here. And we were reading your Zanga earlier. It's some pretty dark stuff. Right? My Zanga? <laughs> the deep cut for all of those Zanga yeah, youngins like out there. 2005. Oh, <laughs> Adolescent therapist over here. It's ironically, I, had I don't a, know any of that. I had a what? six. No, I had a 16 year old tell me this week. Um, uh, our generation, like, you know, saying like, including me in his generation. And for a second, I was like, oh, I'm I'm so complimented. And then he stopped and he's just like, I mean, my generation and your generation. And I just like, oh, it's like my heart was crushed for like 2.5 seconds. But I know, I mean, I'm not 16. I'm not. I'm not a teenager. Um, There's this really ridiculous like obsession with youth and the gay culture and totally different show. But uh, emotionally hanging in there, honestly. Um, I I guess I'll just get into it a little bit. But um, our, one of our dogs got run over and uh, we literally thought he was not going to make it. And we saw him today for the first time in probably uh, maybe a day and a half. Um, and he's doing great. He's doing actually better than we thought. And so, yeah, I'm just, that's amazing. I actually literally just got back right before getting here from seeing him. So it was a very emotionally draining, but relieving day at the same time. So that's probably why I have three drinks, three different, three fists. <laughs> you're hydrating. You're double fisting. You're I'm triple fisting. Ouch. Um, anyway, hydrating, <laughs> caffeinating. Exactly. There's a bang in front of me. There's a bottle of water instead uh-huh. of tequila. tequila. Blown on my spot, and then I'm also drinking uh, the very, very strong coffee drink that Hayden made me, and that I watched Hayden make. And I, I don't mean to go down a, a tequila rabbit hole, but do. Uh, I, uh, I was was driving here, and I live in North Austin, and and Patrick, you're down here on the on the southeast side, and um, so you know, I take I-35 for better or worse. Ugh. There are a lot of billboards for alcohol. On I thirty five. I don't know what that says about our town here in the in the lovely city of Austin, but um, I, I find myself kind of you know stuck in traffic, kind of critiquing the ads. <laughs> and uh, one that I really liked was uh, uh, from from Jose Cuervo, and it said uh, from randos to amigos, and I and I really liked that ad. Uh, there's another one out there. There's a new fizzy water, uh, white claw type drink out that that looks delicious. White claw, if you're listening, uh, looking spo- for sponsors, sponsorship opportunity. <laughs> uh, I don't remember the name of this this new water because the ad didn't like catch me because they were they were really in- emphasizing their antioxidants. Mm-hmm. Just let that sink in there. That's <laughs> for the. <laughs> For the drinker who cares about antioxidants, doesn't that kind of cancel it out? Though your fight against may, cancer, maybe so. You drink you know, alcohol, if, if alcohol with is a carcinogen. Uh, yeah, so uh, you're oxidizing, you're antioxidizing. So you know, maybe in our health conscious but still uh, indulgent culture, subculture here in Austin, that might be a good 
good thing. Mm-hmm. Mariah, you can totally edit all this out. But <laughs> I, I, I sat in traffic and I thought about it and I was like, Cuervo, like y'all got my vote. I'm not a tequila drinker. It makes me really mean. Uh, but, uh, and I'm, I'm still going to drink the, the, the fizzy boozy water, but, uh, I don't give a shit about your antioxidants. So, um, sorry, I dropped a crystal. <laughs> Um, there is a billboard on Crystal I think, South Congress. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to say like the specific brand of uh, alcohol, but it is a spirit, and the billboard is just like a sky. It has their logo, and then it is says it anything sky? can happen. No, it's all sky, but it's not a vodka. But it's like how shitty. <laughs> <laughs> wow, is that for a liquor? Uh, okay. Only good things can happen. That's what. Um, I feel like that works in Austin, though. But but I so like. I, okay. So let me let me reel it back in. Uh, um, as a someone concerned with intimacy and connection and relationships, uh, the the Cuervo ad spoke to me. Uh, going from randos to amigos, from strangers to friends, um, and you know, alcohol is not the the only vehicle for that. It's probably not even in the top ten, but uh, <laughs> it. It, it that's what what it is to me, and that's what I think we're doing here is connecting in, in an in an authentic way. So uh, I reeled it back in. Very I, I brought an, it back in. Very inauthentic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now yeah, we're we're, kidding. we're expecting a guest, and she's uh, she's arriving at, at any minute now. She is. And I and I kind of uh, I'm waiting on the doorbell to go, and it's going to be like Mister Rogers or something Ooh. like. That would be a nice intro for our guests. Just have yeah. a, be like, oh, so and so. Oh, is they're here. Oh, we weren't even. What are it's you? Like, you showed up. You <laughs> just, didn't, we didn't just, pay you anything. You and just you dropped in. <laughs> you heard all forty-seven of our voicemails. <laughs> <That's so nice. laughs> Five golden rings. <laughs> Here's a fuck ton of birds for you. Thank <laughs> you for coming. Did you get all our birds? <laughs> uh, I love. I love how much we amuse ourselves. Like I. <laughs> I, when we finish recording, I think back like that night, and I'm like, "Oh, that was that was fun. We had some laughs." And then I'm wondering, like, how many people are actually laughing at the nonsense that makes right. us? How laugh. many people are laughing with us and laughing at us? Um, <laughs> oh, she just got here, and instead of ringing the doorbell, she sent me a, a text message like a true millennial. So that is. Let's go let her in. So in the midst of our recording of the first part of our show, our amazing guest, Kalia Schooneman, arrived a la Mr. Rogers. Before we introduce her, I have to go to ridiculous wedding stuff <clears throat> and expensive. Um, halfway into our show, I, I actually couldn't get it rearranged. Sorry, guys. But the rest of the show will not be as structured as our past episodes because we're recording in the middle of abject chaos, excluding COVID-19. So hope you don't mind, but we are going to wing it today. Kalia Schooneman, our first guest of the podcast, PC Associate and University North Texas alumna. She leads a group for 20-something specializing in young adults as well as existential issues or young adults with ex- existential issues. It's a long word, sorry. She also leads an amazing existential therapy group and has a fabulous online presence. Introducing Kalia Schooneman. Well, welcome, Kalia. Hello. Thank you for having me. So this is the podcast. Uh, For those of you listening at home, Ian had to peace out. He had, as he said earlier, some fancy wedding stuff to take care of. So he 
For better or for worse, left Hayden and I in charge, and after a brief cry, we were able to pull ourselves together and get back to recording. Well, speaking of grief and loss, <laughs> <laughs> which always, <laughs> grief and loss, always always gets a good laugh from the from the crowd, uh, we're here with Kalia, and uh, Kalia, um, I, I feel, I've, I sound like a magician, I'm like, we, we don't know each other very well. Uh, we just met today, I think, IRL. Uh, this might be part of uh, uh, actually what we're talking about, the age of COVID, as you, you meet a lot of people uh, virtually these days. But uh, thank you for joining us. And um, I, I think one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today is because of your specialty of uh, kind of existential uh, therapy, existential concerns. Anything you want to mm-hmm. add about that, just to by way of introduction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, That's definitely my area of specialty along with kind of 20, 30 somethings, but I find those really go together. Um, Existential concerns coming up during those developmental years. Um, What got you into that specifically? mm, (laughs) I think it's an existential crisis. (laughs) The things that interest me most in life, these topics, I think since coming online to, um, the awareness of my own mortality, like maybe yeah. five years old, I've always been interested in these kind of themes. Um, actually studied literature in college. That was my, what I got my bachelor's in. So just, just interested in the, the human condition really. And so it's fitting in therapy that it's what we get to explore. I think that's great. And, uh, again, I, I don't want to sound like too much of a, a fanboy, but I, I really think, uh, at least in my experience of therapy, that the existential bent or, or thread is ignored by a lot of therapies and ignored by, uh, you know, a lot of, I guess, the, the traditional therapeutic approach. Uh, it's one that I've certainly tried to weave into to my, my style, um, but I, I just love that you're, you're very explicit about that. Yeah, I think sometimes people kind of give like a little nod to it, you know, um, or address it as maybe like a a cool popular topic, you know, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to talk about that? But not quite as in depth, maybe Um, that not being the the central concern. It just doesn't seem like it fits that like clinical perspective it's more like therapy after dark because it has like the cool <laughs> i love that therapy it, after dark but it, it's just as relevant but I, i'm also wondering like how much of that is just cultural because existentialism comes out of like french minds so how much disconnect is there with our american brains where we don't and actually, i feel like the yeah. shunamans like way back when were probably <laughs> <laughs> i think it is often um overlooked or or even there can be this critique of um that's not really what's going on. People are dealing with relationship concerns or, you know, things in the here and now and talking about existential issues is who's ever going to go to therapy for that. But, you know, I would argue that at the end of the day, we're all grappling with what it means to be human and how to exist. So it's kind of the core of of all our concerns. Everything is existential. Yes, precisely. (laughs) It can be boiled down to kind of those core themes. I was listening to a podcast earlier today. Uh, you were where listening they were... to another podcast? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For uh, shame. It was in a dark room and a moment of weakness. But I was listening to another <laughs> podcast, and they were talking about climate change, and the two uh, 
uh, speakers like paused and they were like, okay, so we're both really amped up about this right now. We didn't really get amped up about this till like our thirties and forties. Like how much of this do you think is just our existential like projection of our impending in, in like death and uh, our own existential issues that we're projecting onto climate change and climate crisis. And Ooh. to me, that was just like, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, totally. Like, think about the way we perceive time like throughout our lives when you're a teenager you know life is fifth period what happens in fifth period will determine everything whereas when you get a little bit older you know 20s 30s every decision becomes you know the 10-year implications of that decision oh god that just gives me anxiety to (laughs) (laughs) what are the 10-year implications of this podcast bankruptcy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we we haven't we have sunk some some money into the, the uh hopefully not bankrupted ourselves um but i come back to uh i i think one of the one of the issues that started showing up for me early in my career that really tuned me into the the existential thread was fomo which is a a, a really weird thing to think about but um you know, I would get these people coming in and they would be talking about FOMO, which if you're uh, over if, if you're over 30 or my mom <laughs> <laughs> and you don't know what FOMO is, fear of missing out. And I think uh you know, our our kind of social media culture has really painted this as like a kind of a cutesy hashtag FOMO, like my friends are doing things that I'm not doing and I have this anxiety about missing out. And in holding space for these clients coming in, people were literally coming in talking about FOMO. Like, I'm not making this up. I kind of figured out that there was this existential bent here. It was really this sense of we are time limited. You mm-hmm. start talking about your perception of time. We, we, we don't have an infinite amount of time. And so if I'm not using this time, like, oh, I hit the microphone. I was really like getting amped up. If I'm not using this time, uh, uh, well, or if I'm not enjoying it, or if I'm not being productive, then I'm wasting it. I'm wasting my precious time on earth. So FOMO went from this like Instagrammable hashtag to this really like extremely existential, uh, moment for me and um i don't have anything to say after that yeah it's both um (laughs) it's it's both like the unlimited possibilities are both um absolutely freeing and um absolutely terrifying like the burden of freedom right um everything that you can do but aren't doing right now oh yes and i was i was uh gosh i stalking is not the right word uh perusing let's use perusing i was perusing your your website which is what kalia counseling dot com yes dot org dot com dot com dot eu because she's fancy (laughs) (laughs) um i i was perusing your uh website and saw that the the burden of choice was uh, uh something that you deal with at least in in the group so this is this is the burden of choice yes absolutely like the idea that um kind of what we were just saying about the 10 year implications of each decision, right? Choosing, making one choice is like death to all the other choices. Mm. Oh man. That hit home. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, Mariah, hold, <laughs> keep this silence in here, this deafening silence. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay, so let's take a step back. For our listeners that are just like the casual consumers of podcasts, how would you define existentialism for someone that's never really given much thought to that topic? Um, I would say existential, like relating to or dealing with existence. So what the awareness of being in time and space, you know, questioning what it means to exist. So that can incorporate your, your identity, identity exploration, what it means to be human, what it means to be me as this human apart from other humans, um, meaning, purpose, and, you know, what we're talking about now, kind of death anxiety along with that. I like that. What would you say are some commonly overlooked topics that fall under that existential umbrella, but we look at them in a clinical way, so we're really not addressing them appropriately? Besides FOMO. Besides FOMO. Yes. I actually did come kind of think over this question um, earlier on, and I was thinking about how someone may present, and it's a pretty common, um, I think, presentation with a client where they're... they're um, um, so yeah, so the core might be this kind of search for meaning or, or feeling meaningless or what's it all for, but it presents as, you know, do I really like my job? Um, mm. Is this really the person for me? Do I really want a job or a relationship? Um, who am I really, you know? And that, and that presents for me as a, a working with men a lot of like, what mm-hmm. does it mean to be a man today? And I imagine there's probably a flip side of that coin of what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be if I don't fall into one of those binaries? So a lot. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. The thing that's come up more than anything in working with existential concerns, you know, now I have a group focused on this and we're already hitting on it just a few minutes. And, you know, we start talking about death anxiety and everyone kind of has a conception of, you know, fear of of death and, and what's around it. But the more that we talk about existential concerns, the more it turns into this like fear of living, like fear of really putting yourself out there, um, fear of assigning meaning to something and then living wow. by that. So, you know, in the wake of that, you're just smoking weed all day and playing video games, not really committing to anyone. <laughs> um, again, like for fear of, of making that choice. I was going to make the comment of this seems like more of a modern day problem because so many different careers are more accessible. So how can I align my identity with what I'm doing? But then I think back to, I just did a quick Google search and it's not a surprise that, you know, our occupations used to define us even more so than present day. So like your last name used to define what you, (laughs) that's where I was going. It's archer, baker, brewer, butcher. All of these are commonly, uh, used last names and it was all derived from your occupation. So without that occupation, who are you? Because what if you were a butcher and you were in a horrible accident and you lost your arms? Who are you after that? I mean, I remember I used to work for this little nonprofit health clinic and they went through uh, severe budget cuts and they laid off half of us. And I remember the existential crisis I had after that. It's how do I introduce myself after this? Like what if, what if somebody Mm -hmm. dares ask what I do? Uh, how do I define myself? I'm a therapist, but I'm not actually a practicing therapist. I, I'm not working right now. Who am I outside of this job? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how your identity can be wrapped up in that. Um, even who am I without this relationship? Um, 
or, you know, um, without this family, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of cultural things that go into it. And maybe in the past that framework was just kind of given to you, you know, you Mm. do have that occupation for your whole life. Whereas now it kind of evolves every five to seven years as you kind of remake yourself. And and I do, I've learned just in my brief travels that asking what someone does for a living five seconds after you've met them is, I won't say uniquely American, but, but it is not universal. And in, in a lot of cultures, it's actually considered intrusive. That and this weird uh, fascination that we have with aligning our identities with like sports teams and our uh, mm. colleges that we attended. And, you know, you, you, there's no shortage of UT t-shirts walking around Austin, uh, but you don't see the same thing in other countries we're just like so desperate for something to define ourselves by that we'll do anything. Uh, I've seen like t-shirts for pineapple on pizza versus non pineapple on pizza. Mm. Like that's ridiculous, but that shows like the, the depths people will go to, to find an identity to align with. I, I uh, th- this is a hot button topic for me because I think that the, the problem with Hawaiian pizza is not the pineapple. <laughs> it is the fake Canadian bacon. And I think the pineapple is kind of a, a distraction from the fact that the Canadians are pawning off this like grilled ham. At, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm getting a little bit off topic, but I oh, but don't I, even I, get me started on Irish bacon. <laughs> it is just like the size of your plate and heaven on earth. It's fucking amazing. Where, where were we talking? Well, about? Well, I feel like uh, <laughs> that it gives us a sense of belonging that we're all. I mean, in therapeutic terms, is something about attachment, right? Like, where bacon. do we get our <laughs> sense of belonging? And maybe it's by subscribing to some sort of identity. How much comfort do you think that there is in anonymity in that identity? Because it's one thing to identify yourself as your family, like that's a pretty intimate association. But if you identify yourself as a, I don't know, Cowboys football fan. I'm You're wearing not a Deep Eddie Cabaret shirt, so <laughs> I, I feel very strongly about the Deep Eddie Cabaret versus, you know, say, the, the mean-eyed cat here in town. But you're not actually an individual in that identity. You're just kind of, like, blending in with the crowd. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Like, what... Yeah, it hits at one of these questions, right? What is core or essential to you? And are you something that is constant, outside of all of these things? Are you the amalgamation of all of these things? Is it always in flux? Yeah. I mean, the questions don't stop, right? Well, I thought I'd bring it back to, you know, you mentioned the death anxiety uh, a little bit ago. And th- this th- this was one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, because I think uh, in our our current climate of bacon versus pineapple and uh, some of the other stuff going on, like the global pandemic, for example. Um, This has really brought the death anxiety to the forefront of people's minds. And and I don't know how you approach this, but in in my work, I I think of death anxiety as sort of this in the moment, like I might die, where like I, I kind of compare it to a, 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 a mouse being chased by a cat. Like the mouse has something that we call death anxiety. But the difference between us and the mouse is once the mouse escapes, the death anxiety goes away and the, the, the mouse kind of goes back to doing whatever mouses do. Mice? Mouses. Not mice. And um, 
what is unique about the the human animal, or at least semi-unique, is that we can kind of project into the future and and kind of think about our own death. So I I kind of distinguish death anxiety from like, I might die in this moment, and existential anxiety is like, I'm going to die eventually, uh, which has been around, you know, for a couple hundred thousand years as, as human animals. Um, but is the anxiety specifically, I'm going to die one day or I'm going to die with an unfulfilling life? Mm, well, see, there's, mm. <laughs> that's where I come yeah. in with all these. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take <laughs> well, it back on track. I definitely, Mariah, I didn't mean to clap. I was excited. Uh, go ahead. I definitely kind of get the distinction there of, you know, not quite this fight or flight response anymore, but now it becomes, um, this kind of dull, uh, gnawing, aching, uh, chronic kind of condition that lingers in the back of yes. our mind and that keeps us awake at night as we fall asleep, you know, finds us in the dark. Um, but yeah, certainly there's all these different types and I think it can range from like this kind of preoccupation to this fear to just absolute terror. Um, but there are so many different ways to fear death. I think it is really good when it comes up to distinguish between them. And for example, there's a million, but you know, some people are afraid of, the afterlife, you know, is there an afterlife? Am I going to it? Um, or what's going to happen to their body after death? Or if they're going to have enough, um, you know, if they're going to live a fulfilling life, sure. Or kind of the, will, will I be remembered? Yeah. Will, will I leave a legacy show up at my funeral? Yeah. Um, will loved ones be taken care of? You know, if I'm gone, that's a big one with parents. Um, will people listen to my podcast? But that's part of that biological imperative of leaving a legacy, right? Like all animals have that. And it just seems Mm. that we've pathologized it. Like instead of like ensuring that like my DNA survives generations, like my specific, I don't know, goals or accomplishments survive further Mm -hmm. than I do. Because I think it's interesting when you look at animals like sharks, for instance, instead I... Um, we're going to talk about genitals here for a second, but sharks have two male appendages. They're called claspers. And one, they both have little cups at the end specifically to scoop out the sperm of the previous shark to ensure that their DNA impregnates the shark. And that's that biological imperative to make sure that their genetic material is what carries on. And I feel like we've just taken that and twisted it to freak ourselves out. Mm, well, we want mm. our like sense of self. We want, it's like perpetuating the, the identity that we've created, right? We want our selves as individuals to live on not cells as in cells of your body but ourselves <laughs> the, sh- the shark thing sounds way simpler like <laughs> when i think about the the ericksonian need for generativity um i don't know give me the the two-pronged shark penis versus the clasper clasper thank you for correcting me patrick <laughs> versus the this <laughs> ambiguous human thing to be like remembered Mm. i'll take the clasper any day just to tack on there's uh, another one would be the the fear of the last moments like the process of dying Mm. you know how will it be painful will i know what's happening and then the i think my personal opinion the toughest to grapple with is the fear of of nothingness Mm. what it's like to not be is it because existence is finite or because that means this was all for naught? Because if there's nothing after, then I did all of this for what? 
Like there was no big payoff. And I think religion mm-hmm. brings us some comfort if we believe that there is some afterlife or there is some reward for the disciplines that we practice during life. But if, if everything just ceases upon death then it's like, why do anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, the framework you bring into it is definitely going to um, determine kind of what, which of these concerns hits you hardest. I think the fear of nothingness, I'm trying to think, but I, I can't imagine how that would hit at someone who had um, kind of a, a faith-based background because there is no nothingness after death. I will say, so I was a religious studies minor in college for undergrad, specifically because I watched this documentary that was put together by some uh, kids over at A&M where all they did was they go, they went around the United States. I forgot what it was called. Something America. I don't know. But the whole thing, the whole premise was these three friends would go up to people and say, what do you think happens to you when you die? And they would record it. And it was, they, they were Christian themselves and they just wanted to have like the theological conversation with people about death and what their personal beliefs were. And it was, it was fascinating. And that really resonated with me because I am so uncomfortable about death. I come from an Irish background where death is just like, well, they died. Let's move on. That's the Irish goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> the ultimate <laughs> Irish goodbye. <laughs> and then I have the Mexican background where we celebrate life rather than acknowledge death. Like let's, let's forego the pain and celebrate the time that we had with this person. Mm. And it's so beautiful, but also growing up with these two competing beliefs was just very jarring and I think that's why I was drawn to religion because a lot of religion just seeks to explain why we're here and where we're going and what's going to happen after this is gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did your religious studies, did it offer anything to you that was, that was comforting, that was healing? Not really. So I got into it because of my weird relationship with death, but I came out of it uh, with this new insight of the human condition needing explanations for everything like a lot of religions were created to just offer an explanation for why the sun rises why it sets why it rains why we starve why we're hungry so Mm. i i I went in more of a non-death related existential direction than i did Mm -hmm. uh finding answers for my death anxiety Mm -hmm. well it's kind of like that you know the closer you get to it uh to answering one question the more questions are brought up. Yeah. (laughs) So I was going to ask both of you though, about your kind of brand of death anxiety. If there's one that kind of hits at you more than the others. Hmm. And I guess we could be more broad and say existential anxiety, because maybe it's not the death anxiety that necessarily hits at you. Well, I'm glad you mentioned death anxiety that that kind of brings it back to sort of this idea of the current climate and, uh, what we're talking about today. And for me, the uh, the pandemic has really brought this death and existential anxiety to the forefront. And I think for me personally, what is uh, what what I have anxiety most about is that the uh, I think you termed it kind of the last moment's anxiety. like the, the what is the feeling of dying? And wow, we got really like, I'm un- super uncomfortable right now just to be <laughs> vulnerable. Um, cause I, I, you know, I didn't expect to kind of get into this, but I've been seeing a lot in my, uh, my sort of social media circle. Um, I, I've, I've known people who have had to go into ICU for, uh, COVID and, uh, th- this is, bringing a lot up in me of like, 
what is it like to not be able to breathe? Mm-hmm. That's like terrifying to me. I've been uh, the the closest thing I have to that, like kind of in my own personal experiences, uh, trying to do a triathlon that I had no business doing, and I I kind of got uh, <laughs> uh, I got into some trouble in the uh, the swimming portion, and I was backstroking while everyone was speeding past me and someone splashed water into my throat and I'm out there in this lake in the hill country and But had, the trouble was that you insisted on doing it nude, right? That's that's where the trouble I was wearing a speedo and you and I've had this speedo conversation and, and more than once. And uh Ian is the only person in this uh th- this threesome who has not uh <laughs> sent a picture of his speedo to, uh, to the group. Um, that was a weird tangent. Mar- Mariah, I'll leave that up to you if you want to leave that in. But So the process, the process of dying. Yes. The last moment, the loss yes. of control, the loss of autonomy, and maybe even the, the pain of it. All, all of the above. The, um, yeah, the, um, this basic thing bodily function of breathing is, is, uh, um, not available to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, the only thing I have to, to, to compare that to at this point in my life is kind of this sense of going under in this triathlon. And there were, there was this, uh, guy, you know, lifeguards and these kayaks out, out there on the lake. And I, I had this weird thought of like, just, let me go under. I don't want to, this is, this is, goes back to our, our, uh, uh, manliness conversation. Like I would rather, um, I would rather die than need help. <laughs> this is, this was about 10 years ago, but, um, that, that memory of like, I can't breathe is, is really, uh, kind of sticks in my mind. So that's my personal brand of, of, of death anxiety is really in that, that, moment that last moments anxiety Mm -hmm. oh that resonates with me in a weird way so uh several years ago i was present for a mass shooting it was the uh Mm. the waco biker shootout in 2015 Mm. and i was maybe 10 feet away from the action Um, and there is nothing like getting shot at and then immediately having law enforcement point guns in your face for you to really come to terms with the fact that you are mortal and you will die someday. But that wasn't even the worst part. So th- the actual shootout happened and crawling under cars and trying to get away from the gunfire was one thing. And then immediately got arrested and spent 11 days in jail was another thing. So it went from this trauma of I'm going to die to I don't have control over my life to, okay, now I'm out of jail and I'm free again. But I remember those those weeks following that where I was really pushing the limits on my own mortality. I stopped wearing my helmet when I was on my motorcycle. I started speeding everywhere. I was going like 100 miles an hour down the highway. There was just something that I needed to remind myself that I have control over my own mortality, but I only did it with like flirting with my own mortality. Like in retrospect, wow. it's like wow, yeah. I want to be in control of when I die not have you in control of when I die, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, yeah. And like looking back on that, I'm like, that was super problematic. But there was it's something with what you said of just like, I'd rather go under than ask for help. I think that was the, the yes, mentality that thing, I had. Yeah. It's like, so, uh, Kalia, can you help, help us out? Can with you fix this? We're, we're so screwed up. <laughs> well, there's so much, there's so much there. That's interesting. I guess one thing that I'll point 
to that comes up again and again in, in my work is like that sense of control, whether that's, you know, in the knowing, um, or in your abilities, um, like your, your faculties or, um, even in, you know, how it's coming and the ways that we seek control in the wake of uncertainty kind of, um, and there's so many ways people play that out in their lives, but gosh, I guess, uh, (laughs) that story is really humbling and the, the follow up (laughs) of like days in in jail to sit around and, and just like relive and contemplate everything that's happened. And, uh, yeah, that's very striking. I, I feel like it's only, um, only fair that I also share my brand, which is the, I think I did a little bit earlier, but it's the fear of nothingness. Mm. The, this, the, the concept of, um, non being, and I guess it's hard to even describe, um, it's sort of a philosophical and abstract because it is unfathomable, but I guess in the way that you existed before you were alive, that being the way you exist after you die. I will say jail is a very strong reminder of nothingness because you are nothing but a number (laughs) and you sit in a box all day and the guards could not care less about you. So I can definitely empathize with that. I can't tell you how painful it is to not have any stimulation or sense of purpose. Like, I don't know if you've ever like sat somewhere and not had control of your schedule, what you eat, where you go, when to sleep or when to wake up. But it is a, it is a different feeling. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's why the word for that's dehumanizing. Yeah. Mm. And and clinically it makes me think about dissociation kind of like um non-being or being object. Yeah. I will say that was the first time I've even come close to I've never had an experience in my life where I was like this isn't real, this is a dream until that first night in jail. Like that mm. was a different perspective. That was definitely dissociation at that time. But so tying it back to Hayden brought up COVID, I feel like there's not a lot of people working on death anxiety right now unless denying death or or pretending like COVID isn't as severe as it actually is, is its own way of coping right. with death anxiety. Mm-hmm. So would you say the, the anti-maskers, the, oh, this is nothing more than a flu crowd is that people with just maladaptive ways of coping with their own mortality or what's the, what's the, uh, healthy way of coping with existential anxiety that isn't denying it. Yeah. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. that I keep coming back to this. Yeah. Um, uh, two different, my mind splits off into two directions. One is that, yeah, when I was thinking about this question about how COVID relates at first, I was like, I don't know, because I feel like people are coming at it from, existential stuff I'm thinking of as like metaphysical frameworks, right? So if you were a Christian before COVID, I don't think that COVID has shaken your faith. I think that you still have the same framework in which you are living. Um, And similar, you know, if someone was, you know, they didn't, they were a non-believer and they think that, um, think life is absurd. You know, COVID hasn't changed that. In fact, maybe it's, uh, validated their ideas about life being absurd. So in some ways I feel like it hasn't rocked people. 
I think anytime there is an actual confrontation, you know, like a loved one is sick or you um, are kind of faced with it head on, kind of like your experience, Patrick, that it does, it does awaken these questions. As far as how to cope. (laughs) How do we cope? Tell us, tell us the answers. Well, I like what you said of of how not to deny it, because the first thing I, I would say is don't, don't deny it. Don't repress it. Don't, um, you know, confront the monster, befriend the monster, just like we would talk to our clients about anxiety. You know, if you're going to stuff it and repress it, it's going to lead to intrusive thoughts and obsession and rumination. And I, I would say it's the same with existential concerns and alcohol abuse. Sure. All these other ways to suppress all your coping <laughs> mechanisms to, to stuff it down in the corners of your mind. Okay, so to change gears a little bit, um, so Jung talks about the collective consciousness, and I'm wondering if there's any crossover with, because there are lots to say of collective consciousness right now in the time of COVID, but is there any crossover with existentialism? We should have Jung on. Is he available? Are there any Jung descendants that are alive right now? (laughs) Let's find out. Oh, but anyway, so back to the question. Kalia? So existential collective unconscious i mean collective conscious right that's the question (laughs) yeah i think so i mean i think that is there a collective so there's a collective unconsciousness and a collective consciousness okay this this uh, (laughs) i'm gonna admit i have an agenda for this because i'm super into (laughs) i go down these really nerdy rabbit holes and there's this thing called the let me pull it up Global Consciousness Project that I really want to talk about since we're talking about global consciousness. Have y'all heard of it? The Global Consciousness Project? No. No. So basically, at 70 host sites around the world, there's a random na- n- there's random number generators just kind of spewing out random numbers. And for the past 20 years, they've seen anomalies around uh, big world events like 9-11, Princess Diana passing away, the tsunami, and that they're specifically studying a global consciousness, whether it's environmental, whether it's man-made or whatnot. So it's just random number generators and they see these spikes and anomalies that are centered around these global events. And so there's got to be something that's tied in with existentialism with that. But really, I just wanted to nerd out on that topic. And I know that Hayden, this is more of your area of expertise with your Jungian background. (laughs) <laughs> i do have a Jungian background i'm also a big princess die fan it's true he's wearing a princess diana t-shirt and it says princess die for eva but it's the number four <laughs> <laughs> anyway so kaylee I, I, I do have a Jungian background but what, uh, <laughs> yeah i think uh, i think this is hitting at something both like wonderful and like oh like underneath mm. awful like the wonderful part I feel like you just described existentialism in right. the so yes. something wonderful exactly. but also something ugh. it's always two sides of a coin <laughs> um the wonderful part is you know thinking about us all being interconnected right there's Ooh. something that unites us it's it you know there must be some reason why the meaning or purpose that most of us give to our lives has something to do with belonging and connection and these things tie together um when you mentioned the numbers and then kind of becoming um what did you say the anomalies around like 
you know, crises in the world, yeah. uh, that hits at something that does come up in these existential topics that I always kind of, I can't think of the right description. Like it, it just hits me in this funky way, which is this idea about like free will and like if things are kind of like brought to, you know, like does math determine everything? Does evolutionary biology determine everything? Like are the, is there just this code to things um, that I don't like? I don't, don't I don't, like I guess I, I would say I don't want there to be an explanation. I don't want it to be like a scientific one. You live in the world of the metaphysical. Yeah. I don't want it to be like, um, hitchhiker's guide, right? Like the answer is 42, right? <laughs> I want it to be like, we is it Jim Carrey in like a really bad movie. like that 23, 23. Yes. Right. Right. So I like the liberating part of it where it's like, somehow we're all connected and it's kind of this mystical, beautiful, lovely cool. thing. But I don't like it when it's like, technically none of us ever make our own choices and it's all like part of this larger zeros and ones. Um, but I don't know that that's quite what you were getting at. No, but that's an interesting topic. <laughs> I wonder how much, so it, that, that goes back to the religion topic. How much is predestination and how much is it free will? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a big point of contention with a lot of world religions is some religions believe that everything is written in the stars, predestined. Every action you make was predestined. Like you were mm-hmm. programmed to do this, while other religions say that you have free will. You alter the course of your own reality by making your own decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the one where you're given an absolute is always the one that terrifies me the most. But your view <laughs> is more romantic in like romantic the true sense of the word, word romanticism, yeah. where it's... It's just being in nature. It's just like what's existing. And I like the term metaphysical. A lot of people kind of use that uh, synonymous with just like, I don't know, hippie stuff. But metaphysical like literally just means something that can't be proven, but also can't be unproven. Like it doesn't really fit the bill for the scientific method to support it or dispute it. Yes. And little plug for my favorite book. It's called The Sirens of Titan. And it's by Kurt Vonnegut. Vonnegut lovers out there. Ooh, Hello. I'm a Vonnegut lover. There you uh, go. Cat's Cradle. It's called the what? Uh, it's called the Sirens of Titan. It's more obscure, of course. I'm that kind of person. I'm like, you can't like the, you can't like Siren, uh, Slaughterhouse Five. You gotta like Sirens of Titan. <laughs> you gotta like Slaughterhouse. Four. Slaughterhouse is great too. <laughs> the, the the fourth book in the Slaughterhouse series. But that's it, not a real thing. I'm it sorry. It wrestles with this idea of, you know, all of our actions on earth are, um, you know, spoiler, but still read the book. Um, basically from space, we're creating things to send messages to other, um, higher beings in the world. So like the great wall is really just like your part is coming soon. You know, it's kind of science fictiony. Um, but this idea that all of our actions are predetermined, but what's freeing in it is that if you zoom in close enough, we live our lives in such nuanced ways that from our vantage point, we do have free will. And so that's kind of my work around where it's like both can be true. <laughs> I remember in college, there was this like uh, Jesus minister that talked about, uh, free will and predestination and he put it in interesting terms that you're you're these are his terms not mine so hopefully this isn't offensive but he said you're a slave to your own uh environment or restrictions and he likened it to a fish uh you consider a fish in the ocean more free than a fish in a fishbowl but they're still cons- they're still uh bound by their 
need to live in the water. So whether it's a small fishbowl or a larger ocean, they still can't, they don't have free roam of earth. They only have where the water is. Mm -hmm. And that's always interesting. So free will really comes down to how many variables are at play. Mm -hmm. Like, do you have free open will to do whatever you want or free open will within the limitations of your own existence and time and resources? I don't know this is where you were going, but it does make me think when we talk about how to cope with these issues, um, however they present, something that we always come back to, I think, is, you know, being grateful for this moment or being mindful of this moment, like this moment is your life, you know, and um, yeah, in my mind, that connected to what you were saying. Um, (laughs) I don't know if that was clear, but um, yeah, I guess kind of being confined to this moment and so making the most of it. I like that. Also, we got way off from our original outline for this episode, (laughs) but this is such engaging, interesting conversation. Uh, You mentioned during our show prep that you came with your own questions. Do you want to throw one of those out there just to... Keep well, the conversation going. I wonder, you know, the death anxiety thing was number one, but you know, does this show up for your clients and like what kind of ways it might, you know, it might look a little different. It might not be as distilled as like, do we have free will, you know, but it could come up, um, in other smaller ways or peripheral ways. I shouldn't say smaller. Mm. Well, I like that. Don't minimize be- my client problem. <laughs> I like the distinction between peripheral and smaller. If only we looked at our own lives that way. Really put things into perspective. I've observed this interesting... I have started to view it as a kind of spiritual argument where one partner... One partner is basically begging to be accepted as they are, and another, the other is uh, begging for growth and development. So it's this very interesting uh, spiritual kind of back and forth of love me and accept me which is a a big part of a lot of religions and a lot of spiritual frameworks, and then also grow, which is also a a big part of a lot of spiritual frameworks. And then it's this back and forth, and it can occur over dishes. Like, Mm. you never do the dishes. And then one partner goes into this, can't you just accept me for who I am? And the other goes... When we got together, you said that you were going to step up and grow. And and we go back and forth. And I, I, I think COVID has, to bring it back to kind of our, our topic, has amplified this because of the haze, the cloud of uh, existential anxiety that has, has set in. But I, I, I've really been very interested in this spiritual it almost shows up as a battle um over the last couple of years or so um and, and just leaning into this i don't i, I I'm, I'm struggling for words here but the the spiritual battlefield that like shows up in the kitchen mhm yeah and um a term that came to my mind is like self-worth, like 
I'm enough as I am. So I don't want you to try to say I need to be more in order to be worthy. Yes. I find that like, I don't have the direct thread of how these connect, but I think that our innermost, like deepest attachment concerns are linked to the existential things. Cause it's the core of who we are or our identity um, or how we fit or belong um, kind of comes back to attachment. So that makes sense to me. I'm starting to think now that you asked this deep question, I'm reevaluating my approach for all of my clients, but I do, <laughs> I do, I would consider my teens to be the ones that are suffering the most during the pandemic. And I attributed mm-hmm. that more to just the biological failure to thrive because at this point in time, their whole existence is learning and socializing, um, right. learning, growing, meeting their full potential. Like as long as Maslow's hierarchy of needs are met, then they're going to learn and grow and socialize. But with those options taken away, not that they can't learn and grow, but the motivation is gone because it's all online learning. It's not engaging. Mm-hmm. It's that's why we see higher do- dropout rates for um, extension learning programs. It's not so much that they're necessarily bad. It's that we're really bad at like internal motivation and teens can't really see beyond like the immediate. So they're not taking full advantage of their educational opportunities. They're no longer able to socialize with their peers. So they're having all of these issues with anxiety and depression right now. But I'm wondering how much of that is just more of like an existential issue. But teens, I mean, without, with all of the stimulation and the necessary enrichment removed, then they're left with their own mortality, which is like, what am I without school? What am Mm -hmm. I without the ability to learn and grow? What am I without the potential to fulfill my own potential? And what am I without my peers? I've been talking with my my own clients recently about this like myth of linearity and I think if you have a relatively quote unquote normal upbringing you kind of get sold on this idea of I mean this is what our grades do first grade second grade third grade like you are progressing in a very linear fashion and uh, if you happen to get out of you know that that stage of life without encountering any setbacks, which some people do, I, I feel like a, 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 the kind of the silent majority don't. Uh, we come into adulthood with this idea that that life is just this kind of straight upward curve, and, and maybe some some people's upward curves are steeper than others, but. It should be upward. And then inevitably life kicks you on your ass and you kind of have these setbacks. And so if I were to draw this on a whiteboard, you know, we we think that life should be this straight upward curve. And uh, in, in reality, it looks like a silly straw. It's like up, down, back and forth. And then I, I, you know, I get stuck in this, I call it kind of a cul-de-sac. I'm doing donuts in this (laughs) cul-de-sac and then maybe, you know, I, I I get out of that and I, I can, you know, move upward. Uh, but for the, the teens, they have had this disruption in linearity at, uh, uh, this year in, in a way that I think a lot of us in our, uh, twenties, thirties and forties onward, uh, have not, did not experience that early on. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because I feel like it's a struggle to convey that message to somebody in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. It's like, 
It's okay that you don't have a kid right now. It's okay that you're not married at this age. It's okay that you haven't found your calling or your career path at this or insert age here. Uh, but it's an even harder sell for teens because teens have that, what is that concrete operational thinking where everything in the immediate is the only thing they can see and they can't see past that. They can't think two steps ahead because their brains aren't developed to that point quite yet. Mm -hmm. And it's been reinforced, you know, you move on to the next grade, you get your license at 16, you then go to college, you know, there's kind of these, um, yeah, the linear path, the factory line has been put in motion already. And I'm aware that our current educational system is kind of a relic of that time where we were starting to push people into the into the factory line. So um, that could be another episode where we dismantle the the American education system. system. (laughs) We really ask a lot of people, don't we? Like, there's a a set plan up until 18, and then you better figure it out for yourself fast. (laughs) Otherwise, what the fuck are you doing? Mike Tyson had a great quote. He says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And I think that's a great uh, kind of metaphor for <laughs> life and some of the, the existential concerns that we're talking about today. <laughs> Man, I really feel like there was so much great stuff here. And I, I kind of bring it back to what we're talking about today. The virus has really kind of put this existential haze on everything kind of this this fog uh again in a way that i think globally we haven't had to deal with in a couple generations uh so so it's creating its own issues it's also exasperating a lot exasperating exacerbating exasperate and exacerbate big big sat words (laughs) (laughs) i'm taking the sat tomorrow patrick (laughs) exacerbating a lot of uh, under-the-surface existential issues like FOMO. We talked about FOMO. You can't go anywhere anymore, so there's a lot of fear of missing out. Uh, Kaylee, on your website, you talk uh, about the fear of falling behind, Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, has been rampant, uh, especially for for the teens like we're talking about, Uh, and then just the, the very literal threat of death. So... All all these things that we've been talking about are just kind of uh, bubbling up to the surface. And um, Ian's not here, so I'm going to grab the, the MC mic and just kind of go on a little bit. But uh, Hayden I, just pulled out a pipe out of nowhere and started smoking <laughs> it in a very scholarly manner. Well, oh, that kind of pipe. I've been uh, uh, seeking a lot of solace lately in the uh, one of the foundation uh, foundational parables of Buddhism, and I, I don't consider myself necessarily a Buddhist, but I use a lot of their psychology in my work. But I, I just love this metaphor of or the the parable of uh, Siddhartha, and uh, Siddhartha, if you don't know, is the uh, this is the Buddha. The OG name. The OG. Before he was the Buddha, he was a very wealthy prince in India. And uh, his parents got this, so the story goes, got this prophecy that his son would be a great ruler or a great sage. And uh, his parents kept him sequestered in the castle. And one day Siddhartha was like, let me go outside. So he he went out with his uh, attendant Chana, 
and uh, he went into into the city and uh, saw a lot of really great things and uh, also saw some bad things. Uh, so he saw this man kind of hunched over walking around and he he said to Siddhartha said to Chana, what is that? Like, what's going on with that guy? And Chana said that this is this is an old man who uh, um, is hunched over because if you get old enough, you hunch over. And Siddhartha said, "Who becomes old?" And it's really uh, strange for us to think, you know, of someone so sheltered that they don't understand old age. But uh, you know, in the parable. Uh, Siddhartha really had no idea. So Chana says, none of us can escape old age. Great. So we keep driving. Uh, Siddhartha sees this beggar in the streets who is uh, wheezing and coughing and sweating and pale in the face. And Siddhartha says, who, who is that? What's wrong with him? And uh, Chana says, this is a sick person. And Siddhartha says, who gets sick? And Chana says, if you live long enough, you get sick. All of us get sick. And so, you know, I'm tying this back into, into COVID here. Um, if you live long enough, no one escapes this fate. And so we're going along and Siddhartha sees an, a dead person being uh, removed on a stretcher a corpse being carried away. And he asks Chana, uh, what is that? And Chana says, that's a, that's a, a corpse. Um, we all eventually die. Uh, so here we are with this existential thing. Uh, and, and Siddhartha goes, who, who dies? Well, we all do. So, uh, I love this metaphor or this, uh, parable, and again, it's really hard for for most of us in this day and age to see who uh, or to. It's really hard for us in this day and age to uh, imagine someone who is so blind to death and suffering, and yet we all kind of live in this uh, psychological, I think, denial of our uh, our mortality and. Again, COVID has really brought this to the forefront. That's my Siddhartha story, <laughs> which maybe would have been better two beers ago. But Beautiful, very beautiful. <laughs> yeah, so none of us can escape old age, sickness, and death. 100%. And we're all aware of that, but in some ways we're, we're just like Siddhartha. We're just... Uh, sheltered by our own internal guards, our own systems psychologically that keep us from that hard truth until something confronts us with it. Quite literally, too, because in adolescence, we have that, what's the psychological term, like fairy tale existence where, oh, you know, kids that die in car accidents happen elsewhere. They don't happen to me. Mm -hmm. Or uh, kids that overdose on drugs, that happens elsewhere. That doesn't happen to me. Mm Mm-hmm. I like uh, yeah. on Kaylee's website, which I'm glad I didn't look at before meeting her because I would have been super intimidated before she joined the podcast. But she has this wonderful quote by Carl Rogers that says, oh, and it switched on me. It says, the curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I change. 
I feel like that's such a beautiful representation of life is because once we finally get confident and secure in one chapter of our life, boom, it changed and we have to adapt to that. And that kind of goes along with like the adolescence of, okay, I kind of figuring out the world. Death can't touch me because I live in my own little world. And now I'm 18 and Oh, Holy crap. I can die. I can be vulnerable to all this. And where is my place in the world now? I think it's come up before, but how self-worth is attached to all of these things, Mm. you know, like the, when we, earlier on talked about the fear of living right like to have enough self-assurance and to explore these things and confront them enough that you know your own direction you know the meaning that you ascribe to your existence and then seek it out love it i would add you know when we talk about how to cope um you mentioned don't suppress it right um confront it head on and i would add something about um connection or community um confronting these fears in like an open-minded loving way so whether that's with a partner or your best friend or a therapist um but someone like don't let them stay trapped within you even if there are no absolute answers there's something that from the shared experience maybe it's that collective consciousness um yes that that we get out of it you know there is movement here kaylee i i got i asked you on here because i i again not trying to sound like a fanboy but i really got obsessed with this existential group that you're running because if i had the guts to run a group like that i would uh but i don't so uh i i look up to you a lot in that uh respect but um one of the things that i saw on your website which is KaleaCounseling.com. Yes. There are not other Kalia, Kalia's counseling. I highly doubt it. Okay. Just so KaleaCounseling.com. You can go there and see some of these existential topics that you specialize in. And one of them that I really latched onto was this idea of the grand narrative. And I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because when I was, I, I kind of intuitively understood what that was referring to, but I, I Googled it and uh, I had to kind of laugh because one of the, the definitions of it was sort of this, everything, uh, h- how we make sense of events versus everything is one damn thing after another. And uh, over and over this year, I've heard 2020 is just one damn thing after another. So there, we've kind of lost this grand narrative, this connectiveness between the the things that have happened this year. And uh, how how do we process this loss? Like, what is the new, newer, grander narrative? Can you help us with that at mm. all? Like, please help us. Help us. Well, I have to say that when I when I envisioned when I was writing that, I envisioned the grand narrative as the the kind of framework that you're coming from. Um, so I think that overlaps with what you're saying. But in my mind, I was imagining like, do you have a faith based approach? Do you have again like the metaphysical layer? Mm. But certainly, I think that like 2020 fits in with this, right? Because we all had an idea of where we were going. Maybe we thought. We were on a path and got completely derailed in some way. And some aspect of our life has been touched by this. Um, so I guess 
where we go, we're still in it. It's kind of, it's challenging, <laughs> right? Like we're still in the midst of the crisis. I think it's like spiked now more than in August. Um, Kaylee, we need answers. <laughs> so, we need solid right now. You know what Tell I have us. here in my notes and it's like circled and highlighted is um, embrace uncertainty. Um, the most. <laughs> I don't like that at uh, all. Like, yeah, give us a Next guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The most uh, terrifying, difficult thing to grasp um, yeah. is, not knowing where we're going and, and the acceptance of that or the confrontation with that. As an American, I want instant gratification. So that doesn't work for me. <laughs> well, that must be why there are so many Amazon packages at the door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my God. That was amazing. <laughs> so really what you're saying is what <laughs> changing the subject. So really what you're saying is it boils down to, making sense of it through the scope of our own experience, whether that be religious, philosophical, or prior, I don't know, life. Yeah, and and for some, if, if um, hopefully for a lot of us, this time is somewhat of a gift. I mean, that's a hard left turn here, a silver lining to say that you're the gift of time, the gift of reflection and introspection and staying in and... and confronting the things that we're talking about like what do i want like if i have six months to a year to a year and a half to ponder that um you know what do i really want for myself do i want to move am i pissed off that i'm still in texas um that's a lot of a question i've heard from a lot of folks right what? <laughs> what? What's wrong with Texas? Texas? Do I want to live? Said the the, the Houstonian and the Dallasite. <laughs> Do I want this partner that I'm now stuck with for a year, and I'm, we now have to confront all of our issues Whoa. up close and personal? Whoa. Patrick, Where? I still want you. Where is she going with this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot at once, and we're not. I feel like we're still in the thick of it. So how do you make sense of it in the thick of it? Like we can't just hold on hope because I mean, I think back to February, March of 2020 and we were told this will be done in six weeks and we'll go back to normal uh, by Easter. I yeah. Believe. By Easter, according to our president. Uh, but <laughs> we can't continue living that way. I feel like we're at a point where we have to start making solid decisions for sustainability rather than holding on to the what ifs or wins. Mm-hmm. Well, what, is right now you know in your own from your own vantage point in your own bubble in your own uh little ecosystem that you have carved out for yourself i mean there's a lot of internal work that can be done um as well as like kind of what we got up before about like embracing the here and now right if you if your grand narrative or if what's coming two weeks from now two months from now two years from now has been cut off then all the more reason to embrace this moment and do the most with it that you can. So the grand narrative shouldn't be future oriented. It should be the here and now more for like a mindfulness perspective. Maybe that's a personal opinion, but I think with what we're given in the moment, perhaps I I come out, I have a narrative therapy streak and, uh, and Patrick as a, you're a, PhD candidate? Sure. <laughs> My debt says so. <laughs> uh, it was, I, I come at this even from a neurobiological perspective 
which shows us that we have different kinds of memory. So we have uh, an, an implicit and an explicit. And part of explicit memory is semantic memory. Like, I know that George Washington is the, the first president of the United States. And Donald Trump is the 46th president of the – no, I'm kidding. Um, that, that was a really bad joke. Mariah, you can edit that out or leave it in. I don't know. But we also have episodic memory, which uh, is about the events that happen in my life. And then we have narrative memory, which is how I weave those episodes, those events together. So – you know, I look at this grand narrative uh, idea from a, from a neurobiological perspective, and this is how I interpret the events in my life as uh, a cohesive whole, not just events that have happened to me. And we might be in the in the thick of an episode, and uh, the the narrative might only be visible from. You know, it might be a year from now where we where we can really uh, see the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll make sense of it when we can look at it from a reflective distance. And there's a lot to be done now. I mean, here you guys are making a podcast. Like life moves on, and, and there's beer. a lot of creativity that still exists for us. We haven't been completely shut down. We've adapted, I guess, at this point to some extent. But that's what. I- that goes back to what I was saying about living in the now rather than waiting on the future. Because mm-hmm. I'm feeling like I'm having this conversation with my adult clients, which is what makes sense now? Because we can't keep crossing our fingers waiting for the social distancing restrictions to be lifted or uh, for things to open up. Like, again, we were told this would only be a few weeks and we can all hold out for a few weeks, but we can't hold out for a few years. We can't hold out for a few months. We can't keep living in social isolation indefinitely like it doesn't make sense to keep telling ourselves like okay let's put this off let's put this off we need to start making sense of the here and the now finding value in the here and the now i forgot where i was going with that. i absolutely agree <laughs> absolutely and and yeah so what we do changes on a long enough timeline like we have to um yeah adapt which is very like logotherapy. Like Victor Frankl talked about, we're very mm. adaptable. Humans can adapt to any situation um, because once we accept this as the, just the new norm, then we can get back to our core sense of self. I love Victor Frankl in theory, and his experience is just so far removed from me that it, <laughs> uh, like, the guy is. I, I don't know. He 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 should be a saint uh, uh, in, in whatever religious context that you. Uh, he's just a, an amazing guy. Who, if you don't know Viktor Frankl, he survived. He was a psychiatrist who mm-hmm. survived the Holocaust and wrote a book on uh, finding meaning through suffering, and uh, just a, a, a wonderful book. But. So funny anecdote about that. I read that the month. So I was still uh, in working on my master's when I went to jail from that story that I told earlier. Mm. And I had just finished reading Man's Search for Meaning like two weeks prior to going to, to jail. <laughs> oh, wow. And that was all that was in my head. The whole time I kept thinking like, I need to find the humor in this situation. Otherwise, I'm going to crumble. 
And uh, I remember the, the first thing I thought of was, I think three nights in, once the reality set in that I'm in jail, I'm not going to get out until my lawyer gets me out. Uh, I decided, okay, I need to take a shower because I haven't showered in three nights. And so I go in there, and at this time, I'm in uh, protective custody because my name, my face, my address is plastered all over the news. And when you're in protective custody, you're in your own individual cell, but like in a larger tank. But you only get an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon to have the tank to yourself. Everybody else is still in their cell. So that means access to the phone and access to the shower to yourself. So I took the time to go to the shower. And the one uh, you know, social rule about going to jail is don't drop the soap. So I go in there and I immediately put my stuff down and my soap falls. And it was just like in slow motion. I'm just watching my little bar of soap fall down. And I just start dying laughing. I don't know why I I had that moment of clarity, but I was like, this is the funniest fucking thing that's happened to me in three days since I almost lost my life. And then the more that I thought about it in the moment, the more I realized these other people watch this like random tattooed guy go into the shower, turn on the shower, and then just start laughing maniacally. And then just the thought of the situation made me laugh even more. Um, so that was my first perspective change just based on the work of Victor Frankel and uh, definitely provided me relief because I spent the remainder of my time making prank phone calls from uh, the, the phone you get in jail because any number you dial out to, when they answer it, it says, call from McLennan County Jail from, and then you get to record your thing. Um, so I would just dial random numbers when I was Not bored. guilty. <laughs> no, I would say, Mom, I'm scared. Come pick me up. And that was my name. So it would be like, call from McLennan County Jail from, Mom, I'm scared. Come pick me up. And uh, it was the best time. <laughs> well, here's a great example of the, the grand narrative being kind of, in hindsight, um, being, I don't know, I'm sitting here laughing with with you at this and probably wasn't (laughs) super funny at the time. So (laughs) I think what makes this hard. So we didn't have this problem in our last two episodes where I feel like the, the, the topic and the story was, was, was pretty natural to carry on. But the problem with existentialism is that there's no like end to that chapter. There's, I thought you were going to say that Ian isn't here. Yeah. Ian's not here to wrangle us in. To, to help us with the existential <laughs> angst. But there's no You're like, right. one perspective. There's no uh, one definitive answer for this. And I think that's what makes us uncomfortable. Like even with our, our tenuous grasp on just like the grand scheme of things, it's, it's still beyond human comprehension to really grasp existentialism and mortality and death and life and everything in between. Yeah, there's kind of a so what to it um, that sounds like you've experienced. And you've had to stretch out those present moments where you didn't know what was going to happen, like when you were in jail, and find the humor in it and find the, um, I don't know, the the meaning or the um, to make sense of it somehow in the moment to survive it. Um, and... Then afterwards, your experience of kind of like chasing death, like being able to control death yourself. And and then somehow you made it out of that phase and moved on. So, yeah, I guess the so what of it there, like it, there was like a movement to it. You went through these different phases. Um, so it can evolve and change with you. I feel like the Austin equivalent of, of chasing death in present day is just eating chips and queso more than three times a week. <laughs> <laughs> and tacos. Yeah. 
Well, I do, I do uh, a solid regimen of tacos, beer, pizza, and that's kind of my, my weekly go-to. And that, that is my uh, death energy that, that shows up every week. <laughs> I always talk about death energy and erotic energy as being like opposites. And I don't know. I think tacos could be both. But uh, <laughs> there's an opposite here of um, to like existential angst and terror. And then the other side of that coin is just like absolute monotony you know the next morning you're just brushing your teeth again so life moves on um and that's kind of ever present as well until it doesn't that that calls to mind another existential sorry that really fucked me up i don't know everything you just said just like (laughs) i remember when i was like leaving a job i had worked at this clinic for like six seven years and it was like the time to, it was my last day. I was turning into my gun and badge, so to speak, which I had a little bubble gun. So I was literally turning into my gun and badge. <laughs> and, uh, I remember like walking out for that last time and I'm looking around, like waiting for everybody to cry and the lights to turn out and everybody leave the building. And nope, life just goes on. Like I was just a cog in the wheel. I went home and nothing <laughs> changed the next day when I didn't show up for work. That was pretty. Well, I, 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 we're, we're kind of at the end of our time here and I have to uh, acknowledge this awkward truth that at at some point this podcast will end. Uh, we won't be canceled by a network because we're kind of pirate radio, I think, but because we're the, the bad boys of therapy. Is that what you're saying? at, At some point, Ian will get married every week. <laughs> so this is a finite experience. This, this is, a, is great, a finite experience. A great place to start the podcast, right? It's starting now, but at some point it will end. So, you know, listeners, how are you going to grapple with that? How can you make the most of this podcast while it exists, while it lasts? And, and, and can you attach to us and, and fall in love with us and our guests and then, and then be able to let us go? Uh, and in my uh, kind of spiritual existential bent i'm gesturing over to you you can't see it over uh, on the on the podcast but uh in my existential bent i always say that every relationship is temporary so even this relationship that we have with our viewers is is temporary so um thank you for being with us here today in this uh kind of temporary uh, existence and thank you Patrick for being here and Kalia oh my god thank you so much for showing up as our first very first very guest. first guest which thank I don't you. I don't think I, I I told you you were our first guest yeah thank you so much for having me with this this was so much fun you only cried twice I noticed <laughs> we, we edited <laughs> that you it could out. see on the outside <laughs> <laughs> is there any deep existential philosophy that you want to leave our listeners with before we wrap things up? Oh, wow. That's challenging. I do. As I said, I do love everything Kurt Vonnegut. Um, What's a quote or a nugget of wisdom that really resonates with you specifically? um, Yeah, I'm really coming up short, but there is a Kurt Vonnegut quote in my favorite book. Um, Something like everything that ever has been always will be. And everything that ever will be always has been. Something like that. It's kind of circular. I like that a lot. It kind of reminds me of the Homer Simpson quote. Alcohol. The cause of and solution to all of life's problems. 
Kalia's quote was, everything that has been always will be, and everything that ever will be always has been. I have another one. I have another one. This, was, this is an alternate. Um, In the words of Ice Cube. Be thankful for this moment. This moment is your life. Who's that? I have no idea, but it sounds great, and it fits what we were discussing. That was Therapy on Tap. <laughs> a lovely episode as Hayden cracks up in the corner back there. To get in touch with any of us, whether you want to have conversations about therapy or whether you are in Texas and want to become one of our clients, that includes um, all three of us as well as our amazing guests that we had today, please see the show notes where you can find the best ways to reach us. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying the show. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Peace. Love you. Thank you.